kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Auntie Nanny. It's uh, Monday night, it's a little after six, and we've got blog talk running. So the phone lines are open, but if you're not Margo and you call in, we're ignoring you. Just figured I would get that out. I'm legally required to tell you that uh, phone lines are up. Don't call us. <clears throat> okay. Um... So with me tonight is the best producer money can't buy, Very. How are you tonight, Very? Warm. Warm. Yeah, I feel you. Um, and calling in in just a few moments is one of my favorite people, Miss Margot. And hopefully... She should be on. Oh, yay. Are you here? Can you eat us? Hello? Okay. Uh, so, well. Well, it's it. It's. Hello. Okay. Hello, hello. Yay! Uh, yeah, it works. It works. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. This thing never works. Holy crap! How are you this evening, Miss Margo? Yay! <laughs> I can hear me playing back. Can you hear that, Barry? Yeah. I don't know so, where it's coming from, though. <laughs> me either. Cannot hear on the phone. Eh. Ah. Uh, don't know why everything's set up the way it's supposed to be set up. Uh, is there another microphone it can pull? BTR? Oh, it dropped the call. Oh. <laughs> Oh, right, she's going to call back. Okay. Um, is there any... I hate to say, is there any changes we can make because this is how you're supposed to run it, but... I love blog talk. It's been my favorite forever. Thank you, Margo. Sorry you couldn't hear us on the phone. There's no changes we can make, though. Are there? Um, I'll have to have a think about it. Right, okay. so she's called back... Can you hear us, Margot? 
Hello? I'm gonna guess no. <sighs> I wish Marco had Skype. Huh. <clears throat> I am confused as to why it's not working. Uh, because it's... According to the control panel, it's working. <laughs> yes, of course, but that's Black Talk Radio for you. <sighs> okay. Why yeah. is it not working? I have no yeah, idea. We can hear the panel. Yeah. And I'm feeding the same audio that you hear, John, out to oh. Margo. Um. That is weird. So she can hear the muting and unmuting sounds, but she can't hear any of the other audio. Yeah. Ha. Hang on. Try. I'm going to try something. Okay. Sorry about this, guys. I didn't... Uh, I don't like Block Talk Radio for this reason, but... You know. I can try telling it to use a different microphone. I don't know if that will help. Okay. Sounds. <laughs> uh, did you dial back into the show? Yeah, you've oh, you got to hang up to change settings. No, no, hang um, on, Margo. Just stay on. Start your show now. Press 1. Since it appears you're calling back into a live show, we are reconnecting you now. Lovely. And... Hello? Right, Margo. Can you hear anything? Okay. So I'm. Guessing. I can hear. It must be from her that the echo's coming back. But yeah. So why she can't hear us talking, I don't know. You're not uh, on the. That's on the. So we can hear her. You're not on the phone. Not on the okay. phone. <sighs> okay. Are you. Okay. So. <laughs> Ah, this is, this is the beauty of pre-shows. Yeah. This is, this is why you do pre-shows. Unfortunately. Okay, so you can hear on the computer, but not on the phone. It, can this you talk on the phone, Margo? Yes. Okay. So, this is, a uh, awesome. Well, I can talk. All right. <sighs> so this so, is this is weird. This shouldn't be happening. So yeah. <laughs> Do um, you have an earphone you can put in one ear from your computer? <laughs> <laughs> Although it's going to be odd because yeah, there'll be a delay. So yeah, yeah that won't work ideally either. No. Yeah. Why is it doing this? Oh, I don't know. Old technology. So we can hear her. She can't hear us. Alright. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> the triumphs of modern technology. Okay. Um, well, you know, tonight might wind up being um, the show from hell for everybody. And the reason I say that is because 
I can't even promise I'm going to actually be able to make it all the way through because it is, as you know, here in the land that time forgot, Florida, monsoon season. I try calling me. back in. Yeah, that's, I can hear me echoing that's through Margo because she's playing it on her computer. Okay. So. Why she can't an... hear it on her phone, I have no idea. Because it should be exactly the same audio that's going to the computer, basically. Minus her own voice, basically. Um, yeah, I, I don't. Don't ask me. Yeah. All I know is I don't like blog talk radio. It's terrible. Um, it would be easier to do this through. Do we, is there any way to set up a Google Hangout? <laughs> Did they even do those anymore? Yeah, they do, but they're even more temperamental on Skype or Blog Talk Radio. Huh. <laughs> and I, I don't have my computer set up to be running the audio that way. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Right, hang on. Oh, this is interesting. That's another try. Yeah, Thomas, I know Google Hangout works fine, but my computer isn't set up to use it at the moment. <laughs> it's set up to work with Mixler. Which is a completely different sort of crap. I did not press one. Nope, she's got nothing on the... So I can I can mute and unmute her, but she can't hear us on the phone. That's awesome. All right, so I'm sorry, Margo. I know you gave up a lot of time to do this, and I really want you to be here with us. Um, and I know you don't like using Skype, and I you know I don't blame you. Nobody likes using Skype. You know, it's the NSA collection basket, so nobody likes to add to that. Uh, how do other shows deal with this? They probably run two, two or more computers, which is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, but Jeannie does it the way I'm doing it, so it should work, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This is just ridiculous. Um. um. You want to... I don't even know. I don't even know. So the only options are for you to press one to enter the queue, right? Okay. So if the there's no other option on Blog Talk Radio when you call in, see, I don't know. Nope. I don't, All I can do is mute. Not you. Mute. Not you. But, all right. Hey. Okay. So the only option and, is... And the little bit thing that lets me choose the microphone, once you've chosen the microphone, there's a box that says settings, but it doesn't actually let you change any settings. That's fantastic. Good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love when technology is 10 years behind the times. Press one or nothing. So what if you... Yeah. Is there a way to just not press anything and let us just pick up? Will you be able to see? That's what I did when she called this time. Okay. Alrighty. That is so, yeah, super. Blog talks not working the way it's supposed to. I'm sorry, Margot. I mm -hmm. know you gave up. 
a lot of time tonight. It's weird that we can hear her, but she can't hear us. That's the thing that doesn't that gets me. <laughs> Is it maybe that you're running the audio from me to the mixing board? No. Okay. Well, I don't know. Because one, one circuit's virtual on the computer, and the other one is physical with cables. So, okay. yeah. Aww. Aww. I love you, Margo. Sorry. I know. There are options other than Skype for people to uh, contact us. But, yeah. Yeah, Skype's the most common. Yeah. Because there's, there's, there's lots of audio software for gamers to. Yeah, uh, talk to each other. <laughs> um, what what is that shit? Team, team Te speak. Oh, team speak. Yeah, but there's a better one. Discord. No, I'm just saying. Team speak is the only one I know. Yeah, well, Discord um, people can join a conversation just using a web browser. They don't actually need to have the yeah the app installed. Better to yeah. have the app, sure. but they don't have to have it. Okay. Margo, do you want to go back to your nice, normal life where you're not battling with technology and the phone? Yeah, because I'm at a loss. I mean, that's two different outputs I've tried to tell it to send, and it just won't send. It's because Blog Talk's awesome. Yeah. I feel really bad because I really wanted to have Margo on tonight because um, I know, I think everybody's been missing that that other voice not that you and i aren't um awesome but you know i think everybody misses that third voice and i know i do yeah i mean uh yeah i mean the only other option would have been for me to set up a second computer and run it that way but yeah, that's just as temperamental <laughs> as we know. I know. Um, yeah, no, we, we really do miss Jeannie. All of us do. I actually am getting messages on Facebook. Most people have found me on Facebook through Jeannie because I keep a very low profile because, you know, I just do. And... um I'm I'm actually getting messages now from people going, you know, I like the show, but you, you guys need a third voice, which, you know, we do, and, and Jeannie does provide that. But I'm excited for her about her new house, although I'm baffled about the Facebook posts about snowplows in yeah. July. Right, I've, I've hung up that. on blog talk since it's not no, actually working anymore. Anyway. Margo is not a poor substitute. Margo is great. I love when Jeannie has Margo on. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, you didn't break No, you didn't break anything. It's blog talk radio. It's quite broken all on its own. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it it's one of those things I've never understood why you have to do an audio bypass to run it. Yeah. It's just so ridiculous. Now, the one thing about Skype, and I mean, I use it because it's easy to do this show this way. But it runs, if you get it on a computer, it roots right into your system processes. It, yeah. It's not, it's not one of those things that's not going to have an effect on your system. And it will route through every computer in your house, too, which is some fun shit there. 
And I think most people don't know that. Um, okay, so we will see Margo in two weeks, and I, <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, the other, as I say, the other one to try would be Discord. It's system light on the computer. It doesn't take a lot of resources. That's why gamers use it. <laughs> well, I mean... As it happens, I, I, I have Discord on my computer for some reason. Oh, it's because I'm a gamer. Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, and just for people who are wondering, this is Discord. I don't have it, but, you know, I could get it. And I don't no, you, think... you don't need it either. I can send you a link to a Discord channel that I set up in advance, you see, and then it'll open in a web browser. Okay. Or it'll ask you if you want to open it in a web browser. Okay. That used to be the way it worked, anyway. Okay. I haven't used it for a few weeks. Oh. <laughs> but I doubt they've changed it that much. Well, if it's anything like Blog Talk Radio, it'll have stayed the same even no, after... No, 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 this is for gamers. <laughs> I'm it, kidding. It, it update, I'm kidding. It'll update all the damn time. Because gamers don't like programs that eat CPU. Uh, yeah. That could be used for gaming. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. um... Yeah, VC was mentioned, but, yeah. uh, yeah. yeah, that's a video chat, don't really yeah. need video, I don't, uh, also, I, last time I looked at that, you had to pay for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're a poor show, <laughs> yeah, we run on literally nothing, so, you know, if it weren't for, you know, I guess, I don't want to say Kevin's generosity, but if it weren't for where we are right now, it, we would literally be not be doing this. Um, but I actually have been working on a website for stuff because I actually get a lot of people on SoundCloud that send messages to actually my show there, which is surprising. But a lot of them have asked for my show notes, and I'm like, uh huh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're they're sitting there in Google Drive, and as much as I'd love to give them to you, I can't really do that. So, yeah, I'll probably put them up every week on the website once I get it finished. So, yeah, okay. So we talked about Discord app, and I see people are going to be leaving, and I don't blame you. Okay. So, can you explain the first story to me? I'll read it and you explain to me how this <laughs> happens. Uh, Dutchman jailed for 30 days for insulting the king. A court in the Netherlands has sentenced a man to 30 days in jail for insulting the king on Facebook. The 44-year-old Dutchman intentionally insulted King William Alexander, accusing him of being a murderer, thief, and rapist, the Dutch judiciary said. He was convicted of breaking seldom used royal defama defamation laws. A Dutch political party has proposed scrapping the laws and the king has pledged to accept the outcome on any debate of the issue. The court in Oversail, I'm going to go with that <clears throat> pronunciation, suspended 16 days of the sentence and the man will not spend any more time in jail having already spent 14 days in preventative custody last year. It was found to have doctored images of executions online to include the king's face in the place of those actual victims, the judiciary said. 
This behavior is unacceptable in our society and demands that a penalty be imposed on the suspect. Yeah, so in between 2000 and 2012, they bought 18 prosecutions under this law and half of them resulted in convictions. How is that even possible? Yeah, cause. <laughs> um, just because. It's just an old law that they haven't got rid of. Um, Actually, I don't know why they, used, they even use it. Surely they could sue under normal defamation law anyway. <laughs> so it's think, a bit odd. Yeah, um, I... Actually, I think that's something every government should do. Root around and get rid of old, unused laws, because, you know, the one about carrying an ice cream cone in your back pocket, really, that could be gotten rid of. You know, royal defamation could probably be gotten rid of. There's probably a lot of them that could go away. And there's some new laws they need to not be making as well, but it's um, more of a personal opinion, I guess. Um, and let's see, what happened this week that I don't have in the notes? Let's see, somebody got shot while playing Pokemon Go. And then a bunch of people saved a bunch of animals playing Pokemon Go. I don't know. I'm not sure what I think about this thing. But um, I am very surprised that somebody got shot playing it. That was surprising. Although, I'm hey, not Florida. surprised, really, <laughs> to be honest. People are putting, yeah, and there's, there's memes going about Facebook, people putting up signs on their property going, yeah, my yeah. yard isn't for you to look for Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, well. Piss off, you know. <laughs> um. I, I mean, I, I think it's pretty, it's pretty amazing that there are places like there's museums of horrific war crimes where people are like, oh, I caught one. Yeah. In fact, my work the other night, uh, they had to eject a man forcibly from the ladies' room because there was a rare Pokemon Go in there. Uh, I'm like, Jesus, get out of the fucking bathroom, you jerk! Yeah, yeah. get out of the ladies' room. You're gonna get, you're gonna get a See, lot. Unfortunately, of unfortunately, it's it's mostly random. The locations it picks to stick things. Mm -hmm. Um, it does have general rules, apparently. Um. Hence why lots of people have been finding ghost Pokemon in hospitals, which, you know, has been annoying the hospitals somewhat. Um, <laughs> and and kids who have been in the hospital. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. But yeah, generally it, it's, it's, it, it, some algorithm just creates the, the locations um, yeah. based on a simple set of rules. So, unsurprisingly, <laughs> yeah, you're getting strange results out of it. <laughs> you think? Yeah, um, I mean, there's, there's, as you say, there are people that have shops. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, they've got all these people hanging around in their shop, not buying <laughs> anything, staring at their mobile phones. And you're like, get out, you... we're, get out, we're a shop. <laughs> you're not going to buy something, leave. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I've never seen this many people walking around before. It's kind of nice. I mean, it can't be a bad thing. People are out. Well, it is if they get shot. Yeah. People yeah, have but been almost run over all over the place. People have uh, been run over, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Lots of people walking into things. Yeah. 
But then they're doing that with their mobile phones anyway, so... Yeah, there actually is a... I do have a friend who posted on Facebook with concerns that... As a person who's been wandering about for years looking at my phone... (laughs) People are now going to think I'm playing Pokemon Go! It's terrible! (laughs) You know, it kind of cracks me up that these people have never tried geocaching. Yeah. You know, that's going to be the more challenging thing to do. Yeah, not really these days. There's hundreds, well, millions of geocache sites now. I'm just saying. That there's, seems there's about like 40 within walking distance of my flat. <laughs> Alright. Well, actually where you live is the perfect place for that. With just the streets that are underground and above ground. It's just kind of... No, no, that's if... Edinburgh. Stirling doesn't have underground streets. Ah. Well. Okay. God knows how many locations there must be in Edinburgh by now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Let's see. There's that. And then uh, there's protests happening everywhere. Um, And was it last Friday? Was supposed to be the anonymous day of rage and that didn't happen. And a lot of people were very, very scared about that. Um, Which is surprising they said three people showed up with their phones um but then they started playing pokemon go and they kind of wandered off yeah so the the anonymous thing kind of went bust and yet the black lives matter protests are still going strong and you have to wonder why that is and i think a lot of that has to do with there's money backing these um, and I'm not saying the protesters are wrong. They're, they're right. There's problems in this country. There's big problems. And if you just look at a small section of the people who live in this country and their dealings with police, you have to um, extrapolate that out. What happens to people who are poor and brown will eventually happen to people who are not poor and brown. And you're seeing a lot more of that. And a couple of weeks ago, I said that I think, and I've seen it where they've actually looked at the police in Scotland and, and other countries yeah. um, that don't carry weaponry. When well, the, you s- the video of them, the, the American police being asked, uh-huh. You know, they're showing the video of how the British police handle the situation. Then they're asked, yeah. what would happen if you'd been in that situation? The guy would have been shot. Next situation, guy would have been shot. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of people would have been. But I think policing in other countries is different. Or at least policing in the UK and policing in, like, the socialist Swedish countries and places like that it's very different you don't see a lot of cops carrying guns they don't always come out well, armed they, in riot they, gear they're not militarized That's yeah they don't they don't go say. straight in aggressively well right they talk <laughs> quietly and calmly rather than shouting at you well they don't have a gun to back them up so they have to use conflict resolution yeah do you know what i mean that's their first line of defense instead yeah, I mean, of getting poli- all right geared up. i really think i've said it before that, the policemen here i mean it's a, the, the basic training's a year yeah well 
We don't and have you've that here. you got an here. exam at the end of it. <laughs> well, yes, but please don't forget the Supreme Court here said that you don't have to be, you don't have to have an IQ greater than that of a kumquat to be a police officer. And oh, so the, you do over here. See, that's they're a, still not brilliantly really smart, different but animals. they have to have a brain. Um, and I'm not blaming all cops for this, but I am no. saying I think that the government handing out riot gear and, you know, <laughs> military vehicles to people in police departments that don't really need them, that feeds into this oh, feeling. That was one of the other ones that surprised the American police was the, the British use of riot shields. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, your, your police only use them if there's, like, a riot. Right. Our police use them quite a lot. You know, like, if there's a, even if there's a peaceful protest, mm -hmm. they always have the riot shields there, because if there are pro and anti-groups, yeah. we have a line of police officers with riot shields keeping them separated. You yeah. see the same thing in the United States. It's a line of policemen with assault rifles. Or automatic right you know weapons you know, separating the two crowds it's a bit different I, <laughs> I wasn't alive when so many college students were shot by the government or if i was alive i don't remember it but people forgot that that happened yeah people were protesting people were killed people were killed by the government people yeah, the vietnam war protests that. quite a few people got shot I mean, people forget that this happened because time goes on and technology moves forward and people's memories are really short. This is why I really like history because nothing really changes. Everything's kind of in a cycle. Everything's kind of always been in a cycle. Everything that's happened before will happen again. And you can see it. It's almost like we get into a 38.1 cycle. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. You get into that cycle of, of years and these things that happened before happen again. And they will always happen again because human nature doesn't change. But knowing your police have done this before, and then you get to, when I was basically a kid, most of the cops were peace officers. You had officer friendly. And I'm really not blaming the cops for this. This is changes that have been wrought as time has gone on and policies have changed this really isn't something that i think they did that i think they sought out but it's something that happened and it really is creating a hostile environment it's creating an, a police state yeah. a complete well, police state one i don't know if i've said this before but one of the striking video videos i've seen mm -hmm. was an ex-hell's angel and he had um footage of him getting stopped in the US mm -hmm. and hassled by the police would be the polite description. Mm -hmm. And then the same guy was in London for some event and he'd rented a motorcycle. And he'd, he rode up to the event and the police there had their cordon in the event and they stopped him, asked him a few questions and then started talking to him about the bike he was on. None of this... We're definitely going to arrest you because we don't like the look at you. It's just like, all right, no, no, he's supposed to be here. Fine, right, you know, nice bike. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy couldn't believe it. He's like, yeah. it's like night and day. <laughs> he's like, yeah, it is. In, in the US, I'd, I'd have been you know, pushed up against the side of the van and handcuffed and yeah. then questioned. 
Whereas in the UK, no, they just talked to me. Yeah. Found out I, I wasn't there committing any crimes and left me alone. <laughs> but there is a difference in the way policing is done. Yeah. I mean, you've got chavs there. Oh, yeah. And and those people are just... <laughs> I don't crazy. care what you th I don't care what you think of white trash here. I don't care what you think of rednecks here. <laughs> I don't care what you think of people that you call like welfare recipients or whatever you call these people. You you have no idea what human garbage is. Those people are something spectacular. And that's me saying this, not you. So you're well, yeah, I mean, probably yeah, saying over here, over here, yeah, the the chavy elements, shall we say? <laughs> the number of times you're arrested is like a badge of honor. <laughs> you know, they'll quite happily tell you I've I've been I've been arrested, you know, forty times. You're 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 looking at a fourteen year old. You're like yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. There's cool. there's there's a kid in Edinburgh, he before his sixteenth uh, birthday, he was arrested eighty six times. You know, um Wow. <laughs> There's a completely different justice system in place yeah. in, like I said, the the U the UK and here it's completely different. Um, yeah. I don't know here. Um, I don't know the way things are going. If it's not a police state already, it will be a total police state as soon as they manage to get a few things confiscated. Yeah, for, yeah. For, for reference, people should start watching uh, Robocop, uh, Dread. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like the idea. Vendetta. Oh no, it's more my country. <laughs> but same sort of thing. Yeah. Well, um, so I did see the weirdest thing today. Um, Barry and I were talking about it. And, and I will get to show notes and doing the normal format of the show in a little bit. But it's it's been so... The news has been so terrific, I, I just need a distraction from it. Um, <clears throat> so today a woman was out walking her dog, and Boston Dynamics was out walking their robot like you do in the woods. And she took film of it, and her dog was very calm. I was very surprised at how calm it was. But um, I was saying it reminded me of the Chronicles of Riddick they're walking this thing along this robot thing and it looks like the creature that they had um with the um the sensor yeah the the guy who infrared and a lot yeah yeah the guy who basically was like a pet he was kind of on a leash and he could see everything through the walls and stuff they're leading this robot from Boston Dynamics along and it looked like they were leading him along with that same thing on its face. It was just the creepiest thing I've ever seen. And um, I find it uncomfortable when the technology reminds me of bad science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Okay, so it's a bird, it's a plane, it's a drone. Uh, found a drone that looks like a bird crash landed in Somalia. Presumably, it's a spy drone. Imagine seeing a black speck in the air that starts hurtling towards the ground, but uh, I should grab a picture. 
finding this when it crashed. Actually, let me just grab the link so you can look at what I'm talking about. And there isn't a whole lot of information about this bird plane drone thing. In fact, I found the most information about it on Atlas Obscuria, which kind of weird, but okay. Local reports connected the metal bird drone to NISA, the Somalia intelligence agency. Beyond that, there's not much information available yet about this uncannily avian object. The U.S. military does reportedly have a secret drone base in Somalia, but the drones launched from there are much larger. Drone companies have been working for years on drones that could blend in with birds. The Robird was designed to look and fly like a real bird of prey, and another robot bird was modeled after a seagull. Yet another drone can perch like a bird. There have also been drones that look like hummingbirds and one that looked like an eagle. None of those, though, had the simple metal aesthetic of this drone, which has propellers on its wings. Beyond bird drones, DARPA has funded drones that look like flies, millipedes, and mosquitoes. To really freak someone out, the Grim Reaper drone is a good option. Not subtle enough for spy work, though. So I just thought that was interesting. So when you look up in the sky, you don't really know what you're saying anymore. Um, I have to say, I'm not really convinced that it's exactly what they say it is. Well. I don't think it's a spy drone. It reminds know. me of... Okay. It reminds me of, well, one, it looks like it's been knocked up in somebody's shed. Um, mm -hmm. Does not look like a professionally built, you know, device. Mm -hmm. well, I'm not Two, I'm not it's... surprised it crashed because <laughs> it looks highly unaerodynamic. I'm surprised it managed to get off the ground because you know, the, the, uh, the tail's all wrong and all sorts well, of things. Right, but... But it, the, mainly, I, it looks like something you'd have somebody build from a kit for kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah somebody's got for their steampunk costume, or it, <laughs> it doesn't look it, like a, 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 a you know, a, a proper, it doesn't look like a yeah. professional job. I I yeah. agree with you, but what I'm saying is, you know, drones are drones. What you think of as a typical drone is something that is very identifiable. Eh, yeah, not necessarily. Not always, <laughs> but I mean, you certainly picture a camera, you certainly picture a propeller of some kind. You know, you don't, generally speaking, imagine bugs and insects and stuff. But the idea that they're there and they're able to be in the sky and you don't really know what you're looking at makes me really uncomfortable when I talk about the concept of police state the idea of total surveillance technology is part of that yeah I'm uncomfortable with that I don't think it does your husband has one that looks like a UFO Margo that's fantastic oh and hi Jeff um That's okay. yeah. the American military have got things that look like UFOs as well yeah, well, they've been working on that for years. <laughs> Probably since the 50s, I would think. For At the very least. Yeah, well. Well, just after World War II, funnily enough. Operation Paperclip. Yeah, immediately after they stole some German stuff. Um, and, <laughs> funnily oh, enough, need... about the same time, the Russians <laughs> got quite a lot of the same sort of things. Um, and the UK. And, oh, look, yeah. suddenly everybody was seeing UFOs everywhere. <gasps> Anyway, I think it was a coincidence. 
you sure it was. And so it's a coincidence. Yeah. I don't think there's anything on earth that really cannot be explained. I think if you look at all the people saying they're seeing UFOs, they're seeing them outside of military bases. Well, why would that be? Because it's military technology. Yeah, because saucer-shaped flying devices have been used by the military for quite some time. Yeah. Exactly. There's that weird upside-down helicopter thing. People mistake that for a UFO. It's got the the turbine blades on the bottom rather than the top. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I don't know how many they built, but it doesn't work properly, which is why they aren't (laughs) commercially available (laughs) they you know some concepts are not cool i mean they're cool but they're not going to go anywhere okay so i talked about total surveillance technology a little bit and this is a story the horror in nice reminds us that mass surveillance can't keep us absolutely safe who's the villain in thursday night's deadly attack in nice as far as we currently know he was just an ordinary petty criminal delivery driver with no known ties to any terrorist organizations, including the Islamic State. French prosecutor Francois Mullins said Friday that the driver of a truck that plowed into a crowd of seaside spectators in Nice, killing 84 people, was a Sunnian-born Frenchman who had a petty criminal record but was not known to any intelligence services, local or national, as having links to, links to radicalism. Mullins, the anti-terrorist prosecutor, identified the suspect who was shot and killed by police during the attack as Mohamed Boul, 31, a local delivery man. In fact, though Boul had run into trouble with local law enforcement, he had been convicted of charges of theft and making violent threats between 2010 and 2016 and received a six-month suspended sentence in March on a weapons charge. Those encounters with police clearly did not raise suspicion among officers that he would do anything like this. And in a bizarre turn of events, which further suggests this diabolically simple attack would have been difficult, if not impossible, to prevent, we've learned that, although the attacker had a pistol, all the other weapons found in his lorry turned out to be fake. Though details are yet to emerge, may still change this coalescing picture of what happened in Nice. As it now stands, there is one grim truth we must realize. No amount of mass surveillance or other infringements on civil liberties can produce absolute safety. In fact, it might even make repetition of this kind of horror more likely. The truth of that statement will not, of course, prevent absurd suggestions for giving the government more authority to pry into and dictate our lives as a supposed remedy for terrorism. Newt Gingrich, that fucker, is leading the pack in this regard with his unconstitutional and inhumane proposal for testing all Muslims. And if the aftermath of Paris is any indication, Donald Trump will soon throw out some similarly appalling idea. Such comments come regardless of the fact that France already has a far more aggressive surveillance apparatus than the United States. It's hard to believe. A moment's honest reflection reveals that as much as we want something to be done to stop such monstrous events, action for its own sake is unlikely to produce effective or fair results. We could stop all immigration from Muslim countries and expel all non-citizen Muslims, I suppose. Even then, you would have to... You would have millions of French citizens who are Muslims. How do you prevent them from snapping like this guy apparently did? If they have no public record of Islamist sympathy, how do you read their minds? Besides, what kind of world would this create for the vast majority of French Muslims who have done and will do nothing wrong and may even despise jihadists as much as non-Muslims do? How can that be just? 
In the wake of an aftermath, in the wake of an attack like this, it is easy for politicians to sprout comforting lies and superficially pleasing promises of absolute security. Don't believe them. There are no easy answers here, and we do not honor the dead by pretending there are. I think that's true. Yeah. I don't think that surveillance has made us any safer. I think the no, fact that everything, everybody collects everything makes it harder to sift through whatever the hell your spies are sifting through to find a threat. Yeah. You know? Uh, well, I mean, even, I mean, this case, yeah, as I say, they had no indication this guy was going to do what he did. Uh, apart from the fact he was a violent criminal. Mm-hmm. There are lots of them around of all faiths um, and non-faith. Mm-hmm. Um but I mean, France. I mean, the the Bataclan massacre and the football right. stadium explosions. Mm-hmm. They had been surveilling some of those guys, and they still didn't spot the attack coming. They're not spotting them because they're making the haystack bigger. Yeah. The haystack shouldn't be bigger, and it shouldn't suck in everyday people at all. There was a way spying was done before automation. I'm not saying it was ethical. I'm not saying it was great. But I am saying it involved people. And once you take people out of the circle, you run into this. You get a haystack. And it gets bigger. And it gets bigger. And there's no way to manage it. There's no way to stop it. It's just collecting everything for everything's sake. And there's no need for that. No one needs to live under total surveillance to be safe. I mean, I guess if you lived in China, you would be used to something like that. Most of us don't live in China. You know? Uh, And I can't imagine the people in China enjoy it very much either. I know we're starting to not enjoy it here. I don't know. At the, end, at the end of the day, if somebody wants to do a violent act and kill many people, they can. It doesn't matter what kind of society you live in. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I think the United Kingdom is more used to this stuff. IRA bombings were commonplace when I was a child. You know what I mean? I think you kind of grow up with that and you go, okay, this is just how it is. And here's how we win. We keep going along. We keep living. We keep being good people, if we're good people. And we just keep on keeping on. You don't let the bastards grind you down and you don't live in fear. Well, we've got a war on terror now that's kind of feeding fear. It's it's not making it a healthy society to live in. This society right now is completely abnormal. I think. Well, I mean, apparent, apparently, yeah, um, the UK has been advising the French government on how to deal with long-term terrorism problems. And <laughs> the French have had long-term terrorism problems of their own. So it's just everybody's forgotten them. Uh I don't, I think Back when some of their old um, imperial possessions wanted freedom, there was lots of terrorism going on. Uh, in fact, there still is. I mean, the God, I mean, they're almost at war with the Basques. 
so are the Spanish for that matter. Um, yeah. And yeah, so there's been ongoing terrorism in France, Spain, UK mm-hmm. for decades. So you think that, 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 but now the 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 media have glossed over past events as they mm-hmm. like to do, uh, yeah. and are just sensationalizing what's well, happening if, now. If it bleeds, it leads, and and that's the problem. It's why I have a really hard time talking about the stuff that's in the mainstream media. You don't the mainstream media's take on surveillance is that it's great. That's not my take on it. My take is that it it changes you. Surveillance changes you. We've talked about this before. Yeah. When you go from camera to camera to camera to camera to camera, it changes how you behave and you wind up self-censoring. That's not a society you want to live in and that doesn't that changes your values as a group of people. You know, you have, like Jeff put it in the chat, you have surveillance that goes from traffic camera to traffic camera, not just that. You have surveillance in stores, they're surveilling your phone, you know, and you don't know if it's a company or the government or some horrible amalgamation of both. And it makes you wary of saying things. Not just how you say things, but saying things at all. Standing up and saying that something's wrong. If it goes against the crowd, you don't, you don't know what's going to happen to you now. You know, public opinion is swinging and changing wildly, and the mainstream press is responsible for a lot of it. And I've talked before about how if you look at what's on tonight's, let's say, ABC News, and you go right to Voice of America on their website, the news is basically the same. Voice of America is our propaganda arm. It is what we put all our money into as a government, much like RT, Russia Today, is their propaganda arm. And the government funnels money into it. And it broadcasts all that stuff out to other countries. Well, that's what Voice of America is. And they made it perfectly legal for Voice of America to start broadcasting in America. Oh, it's it's boring stuff. It makes NPR seem sensationalist and crazy, like tabloid television. But the fact that it's boring doesn't matter. The fact that it's the propaganda we put out to other places and is now being put out to us, that should matter. And it doesn't. It doesn't matter to people at all. People don't give a shit. It's just surprising to me. Anyway. Speaking of journalists. Journalists are getting trained like war correspondents to cover U.S. conventions. At 7.30 in the morning, reporters gathered around a dark van parked in DuPont Circle, some holding to-go coffee cups, and wearing calm expressions of the person who doesn't know what they're in for. Shane Bell, a former elite commando of the Australian Armed Forces, is driving a group of about 10 from Washington, D.C. to a Maryland warehouse roughly an hour away. There, Bell will teach the trainees how to bandage a gunshot wound with t-shirt scraps. His colleague, Paul Burton, a former sergeant major in the British Army, will then instruct them 
to avoid touching their skin and to step into the shower fully clothed if they're hit with tear gas. And Frank Smith, a longtime conflict reporter and the founder of this training program, will explain the rights journalists have when police make arrests during violent protests. For years, the media and NGO workers have come to Smith's global journalist security to practice staying safe in war zones. The group's five-day courses cover things like risk reduction in terrorist-targeted environments and overall survival in a variety of life-threatening situations. But these journalists, reporters, a photographer, a videographer, and this audio producer are taking the course to prepare for the Republican and Democratic National Conventions happening later this month in Cleveland and Philadelphia. They're a part of a recent trend of journalists seeking out hostile environment training to cover U.S. politics. I never thought I would read that. Smith says he was getting so many inquiries from media outlets earlier this year, in fact, that GJS tailored some of its curriculum just for the conventions. Since April, he says, we've had a little bit less demand for our longer hostile environments courses, but we've had tremendous increase in demand for either the two-day hostile environment and civil unrest course that we've developed specifically for the RNC and the DNC, as well as tremendous demand for our four-hour workshops in both in-person and online. At this two-day course in early July, the sessions cover emergency first aid, forget gauze, find the squirting artery, and do your best to stop the bleeding with what cloth you have, how to escape an active shooter, <laughs> worst advice ever, um, keep quiet, stay out of sight, hit the floor and crawl away, and when to identify yourself as press during protests that could become violent or lead to mass arrests. Smith says J, um, J, GJS has hired hundreds of journalists whose editors thought it was prudent to prepare for the political conventions this way, the world's editors among them, and some are also preparing with protective gear. Military-grade bulletproof vests, respirators, and helmets won't that foster an environment of openness and happiness. For some newsrooms, this is normal. Large outlets like the Associated Press and the BBC have correspondents move in and out of conflict zones and are prepared to cover civil unrest. But this group is mostly political reporters, most likely to spend their days on Capitol Hill or in their local state house. Terrell Jermaine Starr is used to covering protests and political rallies as a national political correspondent for Fusion, but as he heads to the RNC in Cleveland, Starr says he's alert to the possibility of violent protests aware of the risks he might face as a black man. This is a major concern with me being at the convention as a black reporter, Starr says, because people may not see me as a journalist. They may see me as an activist. They may see me as somebody who wants to be disruptive, somebody who may be anti-Trump simply because of the color of my skin. After a day of lessons in first aid and de-escalating confrontations, the trainers bring in actors to perform four scenarios. During the simulation of mass arrests in the middle of a protest, every journalist trainee is pushed against a wall and handcuffed. The actors playing riot police officers scream expletives and hit some of us with soft bats. Anyone who tries to talk or look away from the wall is ordered to stop. Star, the only black trainee at the course, is wearing a backpack that holds his camera equipment. The police actors taunt him, ask him if it's his own camera, if he'd miss losing it. After a while, they move us out to another room, and one of the police actors calls him a racial slur. Later, when the day's training is over, Star says the arrest scenario got to him. I completely shut down because when the cops say, put your hands up, you drop everything, put your hands up, he said. I didn't even tell the actors I was press. I just got scared, and I was thinking about survival. Because I knew if I made the wrong move, if I reached for something, I'm dead, 
and the fact that a reporter that I'm a reporter didn't mean anything. The timing of the course made those fears feel even more real. Uh, okay. On the second day of training, the room full of journalists dropped to the warehouse floor during an active shooter simulation, trying to discern which direction gunfire was coming from. After one correspondent called the stimulation unnerving. Smith, who consults with the Committee to Protect Journalists, says GJS doesn't want to alarm people unnecessarily, but it's his job to lay out the elements for a worst-case scenario. Given the types of firearms that are common on U.S. streets in the hands of law enforcement, Smith recommends all journalists at the convention consider wearing military-grade body armor. <sighs> the fact that we're even having this conversation is incredibly odd and ironic and quite disturbing, Smith says. If military-grade weapons are in play, then you need military-grade body armor. We've seen these weapons used a number of, in a number of mass shootings. I wish they, you know, and now the first time in the United States, at least that I can recall, we're seeing semi-automatic high-velocity rifles being used in protest situations, and that's certainly not something we're happy about. Um, skip ahead, skip ahead. The AP reported this week that at least one group has canceled its demonstration at the RNC following the Dallas shooting. The same story quoted Trump saying he expects more violence at campaign events this summer. After these two recent shootings of two black men last week and five officers were shot and killed by a black man in Dallas, Starr says, when I'm going to the RNC, I know I'm going there to report, but it's very difficult not to think of myself as a black man first. Because at the end of the day, people don't see my credentials, they don't see my achievements, they see somebody who they think is aggressive, and they may see someone who's a threat. I can't tell you how, how much that unnerved me. And I did a lot of digging into this company that does this stuff for, I thought, even about reading the story here. Because I think it tells you, quite honestly, what kind of a situation you're dealing with. I talk about police being armed and being in a police state and escalation of things and being a hostile environment. I don't think journalists showing up in riot gear helps with that perception. Go ahead. No, but it, it it's, well, circumstance and the way Trump has run his campaign has caused this. I mean... Yeah, they already, there was already trouble with violence, but yeah, when you've got a candidate who's been actively stoking trouble, uh, yeah, <laughs> this is the result. You journalists who are being recommended to wear body armor. <laughs> yeah. I just, I think, I think, I'm of the mindset that people who want to rule you are less, the least fit to rule. And the people who want to rule you least are probably the most fit to do it. Although I think their conscience wouldn't allow them to do so. I don't think it's a good thing for reporters to see themselves as different from the people they're reporting on. And they do. That's a problem. I know they're outside of the situation and they're supposed to be... They're supposed to be able to separate themselves from the situation, but this is kind of ridiculous. Have we sunk that far as a society? And and that's a problem I have 
with the perception of things is is how we see things individually how they really are is how the reporters perceiving this is that how it really is i don't think people are that violent but i do think and i've seen and i haven't talked about it and i haven't gotten examples of it so this is just me speaking so you're just gonna have to listen so I've seen all the Craigslist listings for them paying nine to twelve dollars an hour some mysterious organization paying nine to twelve dollars an hour for people to go protest Trump someone's paying for that and you know, if you don't have to pass a background check or whatever, you don't know what kind of people you're going to get at these things. I don't know. I, I have a problem with this. When money enters politics on the people side, like it has been, you're not getting a true picture of what's really going on. And what's really going on, we all know what's really going on. You're watching an election that's being stolen from someone who would probably win. You're, I'm seeing papers being written on it in foreign countries. I'm seeing foreign press covering it about how votes are being rolled from one candidate to another for no good reason. And how people who get their party's nomination have bought it with money. You know, I'm seeing that people are begging the United Nations. They're starting petitions to have the United Nations have watchers come in and watch how the elections unfold because they know elections are being stolen in this country. That's scary shit. Your voice means nothing. I want to live in a democracy, but I want my voice to count. And it's not counting. And I think people are agitated and upset about this. This is the state of the world. I don't know. And we're just as bad as every third world country where you're supposed to vote and there's only one candidate to vote for. So it's kind of ridiculous. Anyway. Uh, do I have anything lighter tonight? <laughs> I'm starting to feel like I might not, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, you know, let's not go into the Fourth Amendment rights of voters. Okay, here's a good one. Stingray story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have the audio. Oh, you actually want it? Okay. I do. Yeah. Stand by for action. We are about to launch Stingray. Anything can happen in the next half hour. And now for everyone's favorite time, it's Stingray time. For the first time, federal judge tosses cell phone Stingray evidence obtained without a warrant. The judge said using the tracking device constituted an unreasonable search. That's the first time I've ever seen this. 
For the first time, a federal judge has suppressed evidence obtained without a warrant US law enforcement by US law enforcement using a Stingray, a surveillance device that can trick suspect cell phones into revealing their locations. U.S. District Judge William Pauley in Manhattan on Tuesday ruled that the defendant Raymond Lambus's rights were violated when the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration used such a device without a warrant to find his Washington Heights apartment. The DEA had used a stingray to identify Lambus's apartment as the most likely location of a cell phone identified during a drug trafficking probe. Pauley said doing so constituted an unreasonable search. Absent a search warrant, the government may not turn a citizen's cell phone into a tracking device, Polly wrote. The ruling marked the first time a federal judge had suppressed evidence obtained using a stingray, according to the American Civil Liberties Union, which, like other privacy advocate groups, has criticized law enforcement's use of such devices. This opinion strongly reinforces the strength of our constitutional privacy rights in the digital age, ACLU attorney Nathan Freed Wessler said in a statement. It was unclear whether prosecutors would seek to appeal. A spokeswoman for Manhattan's U.S. attorney, Paula Barra, whose office was prosecuting the case, declined to comment. Stingrays, also known as cell site simulators, mimic cell phone towers in order to force cell phones in the area to transmit pings back to the devices, enabling law enforcement to track a suspect's phone and pinpoint its location. Critics of the technology call it invasive and say it has been regularly used in secret to catch suspects in violation of their rights under the U.S. Constitution. The ACLU has counted 66 agencies in 24 states and the District of Columbia that own stingrays, but said that figure underrepresents the actual number of devices in use given what is called secrecy surrounding their purchases. A Maryland appeals court in March became what the ACLU said was the first state appellate court to order evidence obtained using a stingray suppressed. Polly's decision was the first at the federal level. The U.S. Justice Department in September changed its internal policies and required government agents to obtain a warrant before using a cell site simulator. Bernard Seller, Lambus's lawyer, noted that occurred a week after his client was charged. He said it was unclear if the drug case against Lambus would now be dismissed. So that was the first good news I had read all week. Yeah. Of course, you know... What a judge says and what the government does are two completely different things, as we yeah. know from past experience. But at least it's a judge taking yeah. a position. Yep. But yeah, I've, I've said it before. Yeah, the judges are starting to get a bit pissed off with law enforcement lying to them. Well, yeah. You'd think. You know, they, you know, they go to a judge for a warrant, and it's a general warrant. Not a, we're, we're going to snoop on the person's phone warrant. Because well, that's I mean, you know, a different warrant. <laughs> well, I mean, the FISA, the FISA court. Yeah. The, the rubber stamp court, which got, what, three no's in its entire career? And that's kind of ridiculous. Um, yeah. Okay. So... Remember we talked last week about Netflix? Yes. Okay. Uh, the Ninth Circuit panel backs away from dangerous password-sharing decision, but creates even more confusion about the CFAA. 
three judges of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals have taken a step back from criminalizing password sharing, limiting the dangerous rationale of a decision issued by a panel of three different judges in the same court last week. That's good, but the new decision leaves so many unanswered questions that it's clear we need an end black review of both cases, i.e. by 11 judges, not just three, so that the court can issue a clear and limited interpretation of the notoriously vague federal hacking statute at the level and heart of both cases, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. To recap, the court's language last week in U.S. versus Nozel was so broad that it seemed to make it a federal crime to use someone else's password, even with their knowledge and permission. In the new decision, a case called Facebook versus Power Ventures, a separate Ninth Circuit panel acknowledged that a computer user can provide another person with valid authorization to use their username and password. That's the good news. But the decision leaves unanswered so many other questions about how the law can be interpreted, and its rationale is so confusing that it's an invitation for more dangerous litigation and prosecutions under the CFAA. The CFAA makes it illegal to engage in unauthorized access to any computer connected to the internet, but the statute doesn't say what authorized access means or make clear where the authorization must come from. Uh, as explained in an earlier post, which I'm, I could probably link to, under the rationale of last week's decision in Nozel 2, We call it Nozel 2 to differentiate from an earlier, earlier ruling using this long-running case. Only the person or entity that owns the computer, not someone who just uses it or holds an account to use it, can authorize another person to access the computer. That would mean a spouse could not lawfully log into their per partner's bank account to pay a bill, even with their permission or at their request, so long as the spouse knows that she doesn't have permission from the bank to access its servers. The Ninth Circuit rationale turned anyone who has ever used someone else's password without the approval of the computer owner into a potential felon. But we know that people use other people's passwords all the time for good reasons. That's why we're happy Power Ventures ruling, while claiming to be consistent with Nozzle 2, appears to have taken a step back from the bad result. In the Power Ventures appeal, the company, a social media aggregator, was given usernames and passwords from Facebook users who wanted it to help them view all their social media information in one place. Power Ventures then asked for and received permission from the users to send invitations to those contacts. Facebook objected to this and sent Power Ventures a cease and desist letter. It also blocked one of Power Ventures' IP addresses, although the block wasn't effective because Power Ventures has many IP addresses. The company continued to offer its social media aggregating services to Facebook users for a month or so until Facebook blacklisted the phrase power.com. Facebook also sued Power Ventures, arguing that it violated the CFAA, the corresponding state law in California, and the CAN Spam Act, the federal law that prohibits sending commercial emails with materially misleading header information. Um, the district court ruled back in 2012 that Power Ventures was liable to Facebook under the CFAA, the state law and the CAN Spam Act. And in 2013, it ordered CEO Stephen Bencham personally to pay Facebook a crazy amount, more than $3 million in damages. Power Ventures appealed, and EFF filed an amicus brief in support of the company and argued at the Ninth Circuit hearing about the danger of extending crippling civil and criminal liability services on providers 
that provides competing follow-on innovation. Um, the Ninth Circuit found that Power Ventures violated the CFAA when it accessed Facebook's data after receiving a cease and desist letter on the grounds that the letter gave the company notice that Facebook revoked its authorization to access users' Facebook accounts. The court acknowledged that Facebook users could give Power Ventures valid authorization to access their accounts without running into a CFAA violation. The step back from Nozzle 2's blanket criminalization of password sharing. That was true even though Facebook's terms of service explicitly prohibit password sharing, password sharing or letting anyone else use your account. But according to the court, the consent that Power received from Facebook users was not sufficient to grant continuing authorization to access Facebook's computers after Facebook expressed revocation of permission. Because Power unequivocally knew it no longer had authorization, from Facebook to ask, access their computers and continue to do so anyway, it violated the CFAA. So if we got this right, an authorized user can designate someone to use their account, even if the terms of service or other nah, commercial agreements expressly forbid it. But if the computer owner says no, again, somehow that authority is lost and continued use is a crime. Thankfully, the court got things right as far as Facebook's can spam claims were concerned. Facebook argued the promotional messages its users sent friends inviting them to try Power Ventures were materially misleading and thus illegal because the messages appeared to come from Facebook rather than from the users of Power Ventures. But that's how Facebook set up its messaging system. The Ninth Circuit acknowledged rightfully that there was nothing misleading about the invitations. Any Facebook user that received an invitation to try Power would be able to tell it there were three separate parties involved. The friend who sent the invite, Facebook who facilitated the message, and Power whose service was being promoted. While we're happy the court made it clear that using another person's password in the first instance is okay, even despite a contractual agreement or terms of service forbidding it, the Ninth Circuit's Power Venture decision raised a host of new unanswered questions about the scope of the CFAA. The central problem is that in both Power Ventures and Nosal 2, by turning criminal liability on what someone knows or is told, the court seems to lose sight of the original goal of the CFAA, targeting individuals who break into computer systems. Indeed, in the 2012 in blank Nosal 1 decision, the Ninth Court rejected turning the CFAA into a sweeping internet policing mandate, choosing instead to maintain the CFAA's focus on hacking. In Power Ventures and earlier in Nozzle 2, there was no breaking into a computer. In both cases, legitimate passwords were used with the permission of account holders. As a result, the Power Ventures court stretched the law to apply where it wasn't really meant to go, turning criminal liability on Power Ventures' knowledge that Facebook revoked its authority to use those absolutely still good passwords. And because those decisions reach beyond the issue of breaking into computers, they suddenly implicate questions about the application of CFAA to public websites, which have no technological barriers to access. The court dropped a footnote saying it wasn't answering the question, but that it felt the need to mention this was troubling. The CFAA should not reach that far. <clears throat> nice and confusing, as most cyber law seems to be. Yeah. And I think we've talked about cyber law and cyber crime before. And I know we talked about the Supreme Court having no clue about what's going on because they're steeped in tradition. And I don't want to say judicial mysticism, but, you know, using a 
Quill and ink is um, a little unusual. Well, in this day and age, to communicate. Like, like with everything else these days, it doesn't help that lots of the data laws have been drafted with lots and lots of lobbying from specific tech companies trying to get an advantage over their competitors, etc. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's just a mess. <laughs> well, the whole thing is a mess. Once the government gets into bed with big business, you know, they're going to do what's best for big business and screw the people. That's a problem. But it's I, a problem I, all the way I, around. I do like how Facebook and its original <laughs> its original, you know, idea was oh people sharing information everywhere you know all share all your information you know you know live your life online kind of thing <laughs> but yeah, yeah as it turns out yeah that's not what they're doing what they're doing no. is live your life online as long as it's with us <laughs> kind of the usual yeah. As, yeah. Soon, as soon as somebody starts sharing the same information in other ways yeah they get all upset yeah and and try and sue people um yeah. So, oh, and I actually have actually more good news. Uh, House uprising thwarts change to Patriot Act. Who knew I actually had good news in here tonight? The House failed to pass legislation on Monday to enhance a provision of the Patriot Act that encourages banks to tip off federal authorities to suspected cases of terrorist financing. <clears throat> Many libertarians warned of potential privacy violations if the measure went into effect, which helped prevent it from reaching the necessary two-thirds majority to pass through the fast-track process under which it was considered. While the bill still won a simple majority of 229 to 177, it didn't clear the supermajority bar needed for passage. The procedure is typically used for non-controversial bills that pass easily. Section 314 of the Patriot Act, which Congress enacted in the aftermath of the 9-11 attacks, encouraged financial institutions and the federal government to share information with each other about transactions connected to terrorism. Representative Robert Pettinger, who authored the bill with Representative Maxine Waters, the top Democrat on the House Financial Services Committee, said it would help clarify the intent of the law so that financial institutions can settle reports of suspicious activity without fear of civil litigation. We must work to ensure that private financial institutions are not penalized for working with the government, the federal government, to combat terrorism financing, Pettinger said during the debate. The House Liberty Caucus, chaired by Representative Justin Amash, said the bill should have been considered in committee and warned it could allow the government to access Americans' financial information based on what appears to be suspicious activity. The caucus also panned the decision to consider the bill, which was introduced two weeks ago under the fast track procedure, which also prohibits amendments. The Patriot Act should not be causally expanded, the caucus said in a statement. In short, if the regulations issued under the bill are consistent with current regulations, HR 5606 will permit the government to demand information on any American from any financial institution merely upon reasonable suspicion. But their reasonable suspicion is ridiculous. I yeah. mean, I, I pay, and I've talked about this before, I pay my house insurance in cash. So for me to get the amount of cash needed to conclude that transaction, it takes days for me to get the right amount of money from the bank. 
because of their limits and the way you're allowed to take money out now, which is ridiculous. It's kind of my money <laughs> or so I thought. Um, and just the laws around it are so screwed up. Well, yeah, I mean, the banking regulations are just a mess. Um, it doesn't help that the government started fiddling about in there. Uh, but yeah, the financial, but partly the government did because the financial regulators, well, don't do anything. So, well, yeah. but I mean, they're caught up in that loop again yeah. of government to private business to government to private business to government to private business. It's just a big circle. I mean, yep. you saw it with former. Attorney General Eric Holder going right back to what he did before. And, you know, when you look back into the history of the financial collapse, everyone in his office wanted to prosecute the banks and he wouldn't do it. It didn't surprise anyone that he had ties to banking. I mean, come on now. It's just kind of ridiculous. Is reasonable suspicion deemed if you draw 25 out of your bank instead of 20? No. I think it's $400 a day. Uh, anything 500 or above, then they have to contact the government. So, yeah, like I said, it takes a while for me to take the money out of the bank and do it. I think I might just have them swipe my freaking card next time. Although I, I don't like to do that. I like to deal in cash. I like to deal in cash, and I like to deal, you know, um, I like barter. I think barter's a great system, uh, although they won't, you know, let me barter <laughs> to pay my house insurance. There's a lot of, of systems that don't involve the banks that are great systems for paying for things. And... We all know about Bitcoin, Litecoin, Dogcoin, all that fun stuff. Um, precious metals, bartering. There's lots of things you can do that completely take the government out of the loop and they don't like it at all. And no. that's, <laughs> that is why they've got their noses in everything. And they want absolutely every penny they can get. And I don't know if I mentioned this, but... I do deal with a larger bank, which I should probably move everything into my credit union. At least it's smaller, but I haven't yet. I probably will. Um, so I got sent to notice that if I had less than $1,200 in savings, they were going to start charging me $750 a month. I'm like, really? Yeah, kind of highway UK banks started doing that quite a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. If your account drops below a certain amount, we'll start charging you for using your account. You're like, yeah. Yeah, but this is just savings, not checking. Yeah. They're fine with you taking the money and sticking it in there and throwing it back out into the financial universe. Well, know? it did backfire on the banks over here because mm -hmm. they started doing that. And then the government went, no, we we need bank. You know, but if banks want to continue being banks, they have to supply completely free to use bank accounts. You know what's funny? In like, do you know what I saw today? I saw a bank run happening in Turkey. Yeah. 
not really a surprise after no. the civil unrest that they've had lately. But it was just funny to see it. Someone was streaming from their phone. This is what a bank run looks like. I'm in line with 1,500 other people trying to close out my account. And it was ridiculous. The line was around the bank, outside, down the road. <laughs> it was like nothing I'd ever seen. I've never seen a bank run. I haven't lived through a lot. So seeing it happen live was just kind of freaky. Uh, I didn't get to watch too much of it, but I imagine at some point the banks will have a nice bank holiday there, you know, like we had here until the government could convince people they had control of everything. Speaking of control of everything, um, it's pretty happy with Mr. Robot, actually. Uh, yeah, I haven't got to, I haven't got around to watch it yet. Well, then fuck, I can't talk about that. <laughs> I've got two episodes to watch. Yeah. Yes, you do. Yeah. And they're pretty good. I feel, I feel pretty bad for Elliot because what you see, like everything with Mr. Robot, is not really what's going on. No. And you have to watch it really carefully. I mean, for the first part of the series, how many people didn't realize that Christian Slater was not being spoken to by anybody but Elliot? You know what I mean? You know, it's just little things like that that you don't really notice until you go through a second time. And I think that kind of holds true for Mr. Robot season two as well. It's not what you think it is. No. What you see going on on screen is not what's really going on. Okay. Justice Department used aged computer systems to frustrate FOIA requests. Lawyers accused Department of Justice failure by design through use of decades-old systems. Department of Justice refuses to new, use new $425 million software on freedom of information requests. A new lawsuit alleges that the U.S. Department of Justice intentionally conducts inadequate searches of its records using a decades-old computer system when queried by citizens looking for records that should be available to the public. Freedom of Information Act researcher Ryan Shapiro alleges failure by design in the DOJ's protocols for responding to public requests. The FOIA law states that agencies must make reasonable efforts to search for the records in electronic form or format. In an effort to demonstrate that the DOJ does not comply with this provision, Shapiro requested records of his own requests and ran up against the same roadblocks that stymied his progress in previous inquiries. A judge ruled in January that the FBI had acted in a manner fundamentally at odds with its statute. Now armed with that ruling, Shapiro hopes to change policy across the entire department. Shapiro filed his suit on the 50th anniversary of the FOIA's passage this month. FOIA requests the FBI are processed by searching the Automated Case Support System, a software program that celebrates its 21st birthday this year. Not only are the records indexed by ACS, Allegedly inadequate, Shapiro told The Guardian, but the FBI refuses to search the full text of those records as a matter of policy. When a few or no records are returned, Shapiro said, the FBI effectively responds, sorry we tried, without making use of the much more sophisticated search tools at the disposal of internet, I'm sorry, internal requesters. 
The FBI's assertion is akin to suggesting that a search of a limited and arbitrarily produced card catalog at a vast library is as likely to locate book pages containing a specified search term as a full text search of a database containing digitized versions of all the books in that library, Shapiro said. The DOJ has contended to Shapiro and others that only one of the ACS three search functions, the Universal Name Index, UNI, is necessary to fulfill the law. The UNI search does not include the text of the files the ACS merely searched terms entered or not by the FBI agent handling the case in question. Shapiro told The Guardian that the reason the DOJ gave for refusing to use its $425 million Sentinel software to process FOIA requests after the ACS had failed to recover records was that a Sentinel search would be needlessly duplicative of the FBI's default ACS UNI index-based searches and wasteful of bureau resources. To Shapiro, this is both disingenuous and evidence of the well-documented resistance to this law at the Department of Justice. A PhD candidate at MIT, Shapiro is at work on a dissertation dealing with the conflict between perceived national security concerns and animal rights. The Department of Justice has chafed under the FOIA requirements for even longer than it has used ACS. In 1981, the then FBI Director William H. Webster told the American Bar Association that the DOJ was working with Congress to determine what corrective measures will be taken regarding what he saw as a danger to the security of investigations from FOIA. The department never got its FOIA exemption. That's about all I'm going to read on that. Not really surprising. No. Um, it's, it's, it's unsurprising and... Also, yeah, they've got this amazingly expensive new fancy software. Uh, and yeah, it works better, so they're definitely not going to use it for of that purpose. I'm surprised I don't when have an They advocacy. want to find information. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah, we'll use that. I'm surprised they're not using an abacus and a witch doctor. That seems more akin to what they would like to use to fulfill FOIA requests. Well, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Then, then, no doubt the agents who do, they, they probably have a department that does the FOIA requests. Mm -hmm. And what's the betting? The agents who work in that department are specially trained in the use of search terms. <laughs> yep. So they deliberately, oh, oh, they accidentally. Sorry, should I say, misspell <laughs> words, things like that. Deliberately, accidentally, yeah. wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Because yeah. we, we've seen that kind of thing over here. Uh, then, then when a judge gets involved and jail time is threatened, yeah, things, things suddenly appear. Yeah. Yeah, things change for you guys, yeah. but you have two have, different. The Data Protection have, Act's fairly comprehensive in the UK. Right, but I mean, you you also have two different kinds of law we have one kind of law that's just kind of morphed into this weird thing it's a weird creature it's not i don't know it's yeah i mean like, a, a, uh, good, a good example of of it is um when ian duncan smith department for work and pensions when they kept when journalists have been repeatedly asking for the number of people who have died 
immediately after being found fit for work when they've been on sickness benefits. And yeah, it took a year, but eventually they had to put out the information because, yeah, basically a judge went, if you don't give us this information, <laughs> we're going to start fining, jailing. <laughs> well, right, so, yeah, but, I mean, it still happens over here as well. You know, they play fun and games with the Freedom of well, Information I mean, request. But it's it's not just Freedom of Information. I mean, yeah. you have secret courts there like we have secret courts here. Yes. Um, it's just that your secret courts have a lot to do with people's mental capacity, which yeah. is frightening. Ours seem to have less to do with that and more to do with government secrecy. It's just, it's very strange. It's a very strange situation. Uh, I don't think I want to read this Fourth Amendment thing because it just upsets me. Um, yeah, there's one more. <laughs> Our judges have no mental capacity. Well, they have some. Um, but we have judicial activism disguised as something else but it's not the rule of law. Um, after Dallas shootings, police arrest people for criticizing cops on Facebook and Twitter. This is from The Intercept. Four men in Detroit were arrested over the past week for posts on social media that made the police chief that the police chief called threatening. One tweet that led to an arrest said that Micah Johnson, the man who shot police officers in Dallas last week, was a hero. None of the men have been named, nor have they been charged. I know this is a new issue, but I want these people charged with crime, said Detroit Police Chief James Craig. I've directed my officers to prepare warrants for these four individuals, and we'll see which venue is best to pursue charges, he added. Five police officers were killed in the Dallas shootings. Constituting the highest number of police casualties in an attack since September 11th. And as a result, law enforcement officials everywhere are suddenly much more sensitive to threats against their lives. But one result has been that several police departments across the country have arrested individuals for posts on social media accounts, often from citizen tips, raising concerns among free speech advocates. Arresting people for speech is something we should be very careful about. Bruce Shiner, security technologist at the Berman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University, told The Intercept. Last weekend in Connecticut, police arrested Kurt Velsnuk after a tip for posts on Facebook that identified Johnson as a hero and called for police to be killed. It was charged with inciting injury to persons or property. An Illinois woman, Janice Reynolds, was arrested for writing in a Facebook post that she would shoot an officer who would pull her over. I have no problem shooting a cop for a simple traffic stop because they'd have no problem doing it to me, she wrote, according to the police investigation. She was charged with disorderly conduct. In New Jersey, Orlando Medina was arrested and charged with cyber harassment. He allegedly posted on an unidentified social media platform that he would destroy local police headquarters in Louisiana. Kenmold Gilmore was arrested for an online video in which he allegedly threatened a police officer. He was charged with public intimidation. Certainly posting that kind of thing on social media is a bad thought. The prof Professor Larry Dubbin of the University of Detroit Mercy School of Law told the Detroit News, but having a bad thought isn't necessarily a crime.
the policing of online threats is hardly a new issue. The Supreme Court set a precedent last year when it ruled that prosecutors pursuing a charge of communicating threats need to prove both that reasonable people would view the statement as a threat and that the intent was to threaten. Ellens v. United States dealt with a man who had posted violent rap lyrics about his estranged wife. The court reversed his conviction. After Dallas, threats may seem more threatening to police officers around the country, said Daniel Milwood, professor of law at Northeastern University. We might be seeing more arrests right now because police will interpret that they have probable cause to make arrests, he said. But that doesn't mean in the end that this will result in convictions, he added. Shiner urged law enforcement to use caution. This is complicated, he said. We don't know how to do this. We're doing it pretty badly and we should do it better. But he said it was a sign of the times. These days, almost all communications are recorded in some capacity. This new world where things aren't forgotten is going to be different, Shiner said. And you're seeing one manifestation of it in casual comments that are resulting in arrest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we have um, hate speech laws over here. Um, but they're, they, you know, they, they, they won't just arrest anyone for saying a one-off statement. Um, you know, there, there, there has to be a intent and history. Yeah. Um, whereas, know, just... yeah, I can understand why the police over your way are doing what they're doing because, yeah, it's not been a good couple of weeks. Um, believe me, I, I understand, but, but yeah, saying, they can't overstep. That's the problem. Saying things, saying things, acting like an internet tough guy. When you're sitting in your mom's basement, you're not really threatening. That that's no. nine times out of ten. That's not really the people you need to watch out for. You need to watch out for the quiet people who aren't saying anything. You know, and most people don't say anything. So how do you weed those people out? You don't. Now, I, this pre-crime thing. And we've talked about the pre-crime programs that police departments are using before. Yeah. You know, running algorithms based on where you live, uh, what neighborhood you live in, uh, where you shop, who your friends are, what your social media posts look like. They can decide that they're going to surveil you ten times more closely. Yeah. And they do. Although... And this is okay. (laughs) Pre-crime. What? When did that become? One thing I have to bring up about the whole surveillance thing. Sure. And them using cameras to track your movements and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Pokemon Go's going to throw a spanner into those works. (laughs) But but today he he went to that park and he hung around for like 30 minutes looking (laughs) at his phone. Then then he went over there and he hung around for 30 minutes looking at his phone over there. I don't know. We can't figure out what he's up to. I don't know. I um, I think Pokemon Go is interesting. I think it's nice that people are, are getting out. I'm just, I don't think it is what people think it is. You know, no, I don't think it's, it's just a it's game. It's a marketing I mean, thing for Nintendo. That's well, what it is. It's a marketing thing for Nintendo, but it, it isn't just that. No. I mean, when you sign up, I just, this is something I know because I read a lot of tech stuff. 
when you sign up, if you don't opt out, say Pokemon has a rare whatever the hell, I don't know anything about them, off the edge of a cliff and a bunch of idiots go running off a cliff like lemurs. Like you do. Their families cannot sue for that, right? No. Not not that you should be able to sue for, you know, not looking up in your relative being, being a stupid idiot. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> there's 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 just a lot of things that if you don't opt out of manually by sending an email saying you don't agree to Nintendo, I mean, you're fucked if something happens to you, if something happens to your phone, if they have a data breach, if your information gets stolen, if your identity gets stolen. I mean, these are digital rights that you generally have with other apps. You know, you can kind of sue for some of that stuff. Not with this, not at all. Not at all. There's a lot of concerns with this thing. And, you know, it's the hot new thing. I, I'm, I'm surprised no one has talked about it before. Because it is a real concern. A data breach but is it, like the yeah. worst thing. But it Go did ahead. exactly what it was meant to. Mm -hmm. Nintendo's stock went up like a rocket. Oh, it sure did. Sure did and and it gives them lots of as I say lots of interesting marketing research for future Pokemon games. <laughs> that is true, mm. and it got people up off their asses and moving. And Which is something like... Nintendo have been quite keen on, weirdly, for quite some time. Yeah. Well, everybody's kind of turned into a couch potato, so it's not entirely a bad thing. I will say we're selling a lot of uh, muscle rubs now. I think people <laughs> aren't used to using their legs. Um, so yeah. As everyone knows, the wonderful pages of the report that were suppressed by the government about Saudi Arabia's involvement in the 9-11 attacks were released last week. And I've kind of talked about where, why before, and the investigation that they did with the Florida Bulldog, where they found a lot of links between the Bush family and some of the families of the terrorists who were living in this country. Okay. Um, so this is kind of the story sort of about that, but not really about that. But if you're interested, like I said, anything you want to know about 9-11 and, you know, the ties to, let's say, House of Saud, uh, who, what, why's got really good information on it. They've done some really phenomenal journalism with nothing, <laughs> like no money, no, no technology, no nothing. They just went and dug like real reporters dig. Okay. FBI disparages its own 9-11 report. Florida news outlet sues to find out why. Even though a Florida news site and the FBI itself linked to different 9-11 hijackers to a prominent Saudi family living in Sarasota, the Bureau's Review Commission on the attack said there's no evidence such a connection existed. Now, as the discussion about the infamous 28 pages is heating up, the news site is seeking answers from the FBI on how it arrived at its conclusions. The not-for-profit investigative news website Florida Bulldog filed suit under the Freedom of Information Act well, that'll get you nowhere, 
against the Department of Justice and the FBI seeking records about the findings of the FBI's secretive 2005 9-11 Review Commission report. The FBI report, in part, claims to refute explosive evidence uncovered by the Bulldog that Mohammed Atta and other 9-11 hijackers had multiple contacts with a prominent Saudi family living in Sarasota. The family left the country abruptly two weeks before the attack, having abandoned all manner of personal items like clothing, furniture, and cars, and even food that was left in the refrigerator. The connection was first uncovered by the Bulldog's Dan Christine, working with investigative author Anthony Summers, who determined through multiple sources that Ada and others routinely visited the upscale residence in Sarasota. Part of the evidence they uncovered in their years-long investigation included a 2002 FBI investigative report obtained through the Freedom of Information Act. The FBI report noted many connections between the Saudi family and individuals associated with the terrorist attacks on 9-11-2001. Building on the Bulldogs investigation, who, what, why found even more explosive evidence linking the Sarasota family who fled the country two weeks before 9-11 to members of the Saudi royal family. Ironically, the FBI's Review Commission report takes particular aim at its own 2002 investigative report, declaring the claims in it unsubstantiated and that the report was poorly written and inaccurate. Notably, the FBI only acknowledged this part of their investigation, even to congressional investigators after the Bulldog first revealed these connections. The FBI has consistently maintained that they found no link between the Saudis living in Sarasota and the 9-11 hijackers a determination supposedly strengthened by the weight of this review commission's findings. The Bulldogs lawsuit seeks to obtain the underlying records used as the basis for the review commission's finding that the 2002 FBI report was wrong. According to the complaint written by the Bulldogs attorney, Thomas Julian, the 9-11 review commission's finding is false, unsupported by credible evidence and intended to discredit truthful facts that were accurately reported in the April 16, 2002 FBI report. Notably, the Review Commission does not address any of the other corroborating evidence cited by the Bulldog in its reporting. There are also glaring problems with the makeup of the 9-11 Review Commission itself, not to be confused with the 2004 9-11 Commission report, which sought to understand intelligence failures, which led to the attacks, and then make recommendations, the recent 9-11 Review Commission's ostensible purpose was to perform an external review of how well the FBI implemented those recommendations. It was also tasked with assessing any new evidence which surfaced since, including the evidence publicized by the Bulldog. It turns out the Review Commission was not really external at all. The commissioners were act in actuality guided by the FBI, and they relied heavily for, informa on, for information on the Bureau, according to Christensen. Originally envisioned as an independent body with the power to investigate and hold public hearings, a commission in that form couldn't get enough support in Congress. Instead, a sort of FBI self-investigation arrangement was ultimately tucked into a large appropriations bill. Any mention of public hearings, subpoena power, and legislative control had been removed, Christensen reported. Even worse, for any semblance of independence, the FBI Director James Carmery, man who lives in fairytale land, essentially handpicked the commission's three members. Former Attorney General Ed Meese, former 9-11 Commission member Tim Rosmer, and Georgetown University Professor Bruce Hoffman, all of whom were paid by the Bureau itself, making them de facto FBI employees, as Christensen pointed out. So what does it all mean? 
We suspect that if the records are produced, they will show that the 9-11 Review Commission did not have a valid basis to attack the accuracy of the April 16, 2002 FBI report, the Bulldogs attorney told Who, What, Why in an email. The big question, of course, why would the FBI discredit its own internal report and completely ignore any and all corroborating evidence? Could it have anything to do with the 28 pages, which we are told document the Saudi funding of the 9-11 hijackers? Is it possible the Sarasota connection contradicts what's in those 28 pages and needs to be written out of the script? Notably, Tim Romer, former 9-11 Commission member and member of the 2015 Review Commission, recently came out in support of releasing the 28 pages. However, according to CNN, he pushed back on Saudi royal involvement in the attacks during a congressional hearing this past May. In the 9-11 report, we did not discover high-level involvement of any Saudis, he told hearing members. So, that's uh, that. Round and round it goes. Mm. Yeah. Yep. But, I mean, we've talked about hobbyism before and how it radicalizes people. Yeah. So, even if there's no actual connection, there's still a connection. You know what I mean? There always will be. No. Okay. I guess... That seem, seems like it for tonight to me. Well, it's your show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry Margo didn't get to come on and play with us. I missed her. Um, we'll see you in two weeks, Miss Margo. One way or another. Either yeah, we'll, Varial we'll set up... Yeah. <laughs> either Varial set up the... What is that thing called? Discord thing? And we'll yeah. all use that or, or something else. We'll figure something out. Oh, Discord's Cause, easy. Because <laughs> I missed hearing your beautiful voice tonight. Thank you for coming. No, don't put Skype on your machine if you don't have to. I just talked about why it's not the best idea. If you don't already have it, don't subject yourself to it. Seriously. <laughs> and that's I'm speaking as a tech head here. If you don't already have it, you don't need to subject yourself to it. Yeah, I mean... The Discord software, I've already got it. Uh, I just need to figure out how to get it to run nicely with Mixler. Well, <laughs> you will probably have better luck with that than you will have <laughs> than we had with making Blog Talk Radio work. Well, I hope it. so. Oh, yeah. yeah. Me too. Um, Margo, yeah. tell Steve I said thank you very much. Um, Jeb, thank you for coming tonight. Appreciate it. It was good seeing you here. Um, and I guess that's it. Muppets? Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Edward? Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. AmmoSeek.com. Thanks, you guys. Good night. See you next week.